Well, good morning, folks. Uh, this sermon is a difficult sermon. Uh, now, it's not difficult in the same way that some of those in Daniel were difficult. You know, when I, when I read in Daniel and said, well, there's this ram and he has two horns and one horn is longer than the other one, but it came up after the shorter one. Now, this goat comes on the scene and flies in there and tramples the ram. And I'm like, okay, I got to do a lot of studying, right? And so those were challenging because there was a lot of study involved. And then after I studied, I had to figure out how to convey what I was learning in a, in a timely fashion. Uh, this, is, this is difficult in a very different way. The words, love your enemies, are not very hard to understand. Uh, I don't really need to go into a long explanation of what love means or who our enemies are. A lot of study on the original Greek is not going to help clarify these points. This sermon is hard because it is not within the natural person to love his enemies. It is most unnatural, as a matter of fact. And unfortunately, I am no expert on loving my enemies. When I see blatantly hypocritical and just evil politicians uh, talking about how they are so concerned for black lives, and then on the other hand, how they're so passionately involved in making sure that hundreds and hundreds of black lives are snuffed out in the womb, okay? When I hear that, uh, I, my, my reaction is not so much, oh, Lord, I, you know, gosh, would you uncover their blind eyes? Would you save them so they can see? My immediate reaction is more like um, what we see James and John say to Jesus when they said, Lord, do you want us to tell fire to come down from heaven and consume them? That's more my natural reaction. Now, I don't actually pray that because I go on and read the next verse, which says Jesus turned and rebuked them. Okay, so I don't actually pray that. But I'm just saying inside me, that is the kind of expression toward my enemies that is natural. That's what wants to come out. Now, as long as I'm confessing, you guys are going to want to fire me, but I'm going to go ahead and confess some more. When I see people blocking a roadway or a bridge and they are threatening violence to people who are just trying to go to work or trying to go to the hospital or whatever, and they are becoming violent and intimidating them and destroying their cars, uh, instead of me feeling a love for them, I start fantasizing about buying a really big truck with oversized tires. And, you know, so that's not good. That's not good. The reason I'm confessing this is I need this sermon really badly. Uh, now, you have the benefit of hearing about it for 30 minutes. I had to dig into this text and study it all week, and the Lord had to tell me, how are you going to teach anybody else this when you don't love your enemies? All right, so that is why it is a difficult passage. But we're going to learn together, and we are going to obey together. Let's try to humbly learn this, and then by the power of the Holy Spirit, let's practice what it says. Now, I hope to make a case today for why this is indeed possible, because the Lord has taught me that within me, this is not possible, but through the Spirit, it is indeed possible. We'll start today in verse 20 of Luke chapter 6. So if you would turn to Luke 6, we will start in verse 20. Now, you can go back and see a list of disciples that Jesus called to be his apostles in verses 14 through 16. The Bible says that Jesus went and he prayed all night, and then he went back to his disciples and selected 12 to be his apostles. And so they are named right there in those verses. 
And if you're, uh, if you're having a bad week of the Lord, you know, making you feel guilty, then you can memorize the name of the apostles and that'll make you feel better about not loving your enemies. <laughs> no, it won't really. We really have to dig in and love our enemies. Before we get to loving our enemies, let's warm up with Jesus showing us the priorities of a kingdom-minded disciple. Please read with me, starting in verse 20. And he lifted up his eyes on his disciples and said, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you shall be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you and when they exclude you and revile you and spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy, for behold, your reward is great in heaven. For so their fathers did to the prophets. But woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. Woe to you who are full now, for you shall be hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. Woe to you when all people speak well of you, for so their fathers did to the false prophets. Now Jesus' audience would have thought that being rich was an indication of the blessing of God, and being poor was an indication of the the curse of God. Now there are a lot of prosperity preachers that will tell you that that exact same thing today, and we can see that their theology runs absolutely contrary to what Jesus just said, right? So um, the first thing I want us to see is that poverty plus Jesus is blessed. The word translated blessed here or blessed could also be translated happy, and that would be equally accurate. Jesus is describing a happy, blessed, joyful life from a kingdom perspective. Now notice who is happy. In verse 20, it's the poor. In verse 21, it's the hungry and those who weep. In verse 22, it's the hated, excluded, reviled, and spurned as evil. But that next line is so important. On account of the Son of Man. Now guys, we can bring misery on ourselves that puts us in some of these unfortunate situations. And then this promise does not belong to you. If you are uh, poor and hungry because you don't like to work... And, and you have a horrible work ethic and you get fired from all your jobs. Well, he's not saying blessed are you. He's saying blessed are you who endure these things on account of the Son of Man. Guys, there are griefs that come in life. Um, some of you are taking care of spouses that are, are very ill. Uh, that is a grief that comes in life through no fault of your own. That's just something you have to face. Uh, some of you are mourning the, the loss of spouses. Some of you are dealing with physical problems. Those kind of things come in life, and they are hard and they're tragic, but they happen without us bringing them on. But then there are those self-induced miseries that so many people have. Uh, I had a neighbor one time who, uh, you know, we were inviting him to small group, and I was sharing the gospel with him and things like this. And he came over to me one day after he found out I was, I was a minister, and he said, I need, I need some relationship advice. And I said, okay, what's, what's going on? And he said, well, I just can't seem to make her happy. I, you know, I, we don't get along very well. And then I said, well, uh, you know, tell me more. And so as he elaborated, I found out that he was married, but just not to the woman he was shacking up with. And then I found out she was married also to someone else. 
And he's going to ask me how to have a relationship, you know, a good relationship in that situation. And I told him, brother, you can't. There's a whole lot of business you got to back up and take care of. And again, I shared the gospel with him. Uh, so we can bring on misery if we choose to. And that is not what Jesus is saying is blessed. But if you are enduring these things that we don't like, like poverty and weeping and being hated, excluded and reviled and spurned for on account of Jesus, then you indeed will be blessed. Now, why are these people happy in spite of their circumstances? Well, because their poverty is temporary. You know, they will inherit the kingdom of God is what he says, which lasts forever. So he's saying, yeah, I know you're poor right now, but just wait. There are unimaginable riches that are yours in the next life. The hunger uh, of those who hunger now will be traded for eternal satisfaction. The weeping will be turned into laughter. Those who are hated, excluded, reviled, and spurned as evil will be greatly rewarded in heaven. We cannot outgive God. Whatever we give up, Here in this life, for his sake, we will be overcompensated for in the next life. So poverty plus Jesus is blessed, but wealth minus Jesus is doomed. Jesus pronounces woes on the rich in verse 24, the full now and those who laugh in verse 25, the popular in this world in verse 26. Now, God is not against your being wealthy or full or laughing or popular. Uh, Consider with me uh, Tim Tebow. All right. This guy is rich. He He seems to be living a good life. He is married to a former Miss Universe, and they are in business together. Um, he is very popular, at least in some circles. I don't think this guy is, is poor and, and hungry and weeping, do you? But yet he is blessed of God. So how does that work? Well, it's not that all people who have wealth are cursed. It's that those who shun Jesus to pursue wealth and to pursue popularity, those are the ones that are cursed without Jesus. Without Jesus, everything good that happens to you and all the joy you experience in this life is all that there will be. I mean, every moment of happiness that a person has on earth, every bit of wealth that they enjoy, every bit of time with their family where they're laughing and happy, all those things are all that there is for those who are without Christ. You know, Joel Osteen wrote a best-selling book called Your Best Life Now. If... Only if you're lost can this be your best life, right? Your best life is later if you are redeemed. Now, Jesus is talking about those who have things but do not follow God. See, in verse 26, we can catch that because it says, Woe to you when all people speak well of you, for so their fathers did to whom? The false prophets. So the false prophets are folks that are out for themselves and have no regard for God. Now, the point is that we need to think long term. Is temporary suffering and discomfort for the sake of Christ and his kingdom worth it? The answer clearly here from Jesus is yes, it is worth it. So then what are we going to pursue? What is worth our time and our effort and our energy? Is it God's kingdom or our wealth and comfort? 
Now, Jesus is telling us to choose wisely because it matters tremendously. All right, now let's get to the really tough part about loving our enemies. Luke, 20, Luke 6, 27 through 30. But I say to you who hear, by the way, I want to be one of those who hear, don't you? I say to you, those of you who hear, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. To one who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. And from one who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Give to everyone who begs from you. And from one who takes away your goods, do not demand them back. This almost leaves us speechless, doesn't it? I mean, what can you say to this? Can we clarify in such a way that it doesn't mean what it says? No, we really can't. Jesus told us in the crystal clear instructions to do the impossible. Well, it's only impossible without the Spirit of God. This is kind of freeing, though, because when I, when I realized and when I was talking to God about this this week, I said, God, I can't do this. And, you know, I think he was like, yeah, now you're catching on. <laughs> I can't do this. Only Christ in me. Yet not I, but through Christ in me, like we sang about. That is the only way we're going to have genuine, authentic love for our enemies. I absolutely have to rely on the Holy Spirit for this. So that covers the how. Okay, so how do you love your enemies? <laughs> yet not I, but through Christ in me. I can only do this through prayer and the indwelling Holy Spirit. Now let's talk about why we are to love our enemies. And I think we can, through examining this a little bit more, get our hearts softened to the point that we go, okay, I do see how through Christ and because of the gospel, I can love my enemies. At least that was my experience this week. Starting in verse 31, And as you wish that others would do to you, do to them. Now, when you do something stupid or evil, you want grace, and you want forgiveness, and you want love. At least I do. Now, thinking about this is what started to, to melt my heart a little toward loving my enemies. I said, look, when I'm a jerk to someone, I, I don't want them to come for vengeance. I want them to be kind enough and gracious enough to forgive me. If I were perfect, I guess, I wouldn't have to worry about that. You know, I, I could just look down on everybody else. But knowing that I am a sinner, knowing that I do things wrong and I need forgiveness, it makes me feel a little more soft-hearted toward those who are my enemies. Now, we all, I hope, know what it feels like to need forgiveness. We know what it's like when someone else has to overlook an offense of ours. That frame of reference ought to help us see why we should love our enemies. As Jesus' disciples, we are called to be different. That is another reason why we are supposed to love our enemies. In verses 32 through 34, if you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? Now this is Jesus talking to us, right? He says, if you love those who love you, what's the big deal? <laughs> you want me to pat you on the back for that? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to get back the same amount. 
Guys, any, any lost person can show this basic level of decency. We can't be effective witnesses for Jesus if we just do what the world does. If we look exactly like the world, then people are going to doubt that we have the answers to life. <laughs> They're going to doubt that we know something they don't know. They're going to doubt that we have the words of life that we can share with them. We can't be effective witnesses if we look just like the world. We are called to go above and beyond. Now Jesus told us that we would be known by our love, right? So if we can't, if we just display the kind of decency that is common to all men, then we haven't shown any superior love by which we should be known. Now here comes the real nail in the coffin. Here comes the final reason why we should show love to our enemies. Verses 35 and 36. But love your enemies and do good and lend expecting nothing in return and your reward will be great and you will be sons of the Most High for he is kind and grateful. He is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. He is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Be merciful even as your Father is merciful. Look, the bottom line is God loved us when we were his enemies. Now, you may say, well, hang on. Um, I don't, I don't think I was ever an enemy of God. Well, you may not have felt that way, but that is how the Bible describes the lost person. In Romans 5.10, it says, For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his Son, much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. And Romans 8.7 says, For the mind that is set on the flesh, that is, every lost person, is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. When we were lost, the Bible describes us as enemies of God. And yet he loved us enough in spite of that to send his son to die in our place. So let that sink in, guys. The gospel is the reason we are to love our enemies. While I was an enemy to God, while I was in rebellion to him, I hadn't come to him and asked for peace. I hadn't done anything but rebel. He created me, had every authority over me, and yet I chose to do what he said don't do. And then I said, look, I want to do some things you told me not to do, and I'm, I know better than you do, so I'm going to do them. And then he said, well, all right, now do these other things. And I said, no, I don't want to do those things. I was in rebellion to my creator, and yet... He made a way for me to be reconciled to him. He sent his son who was perfect to live a perfect and righteous life that I couldn't live in my place. And guys, we talk about how we can be forgiven by the death of Jesus in our place. And that's amazing news. But then beyond that, we can be credited with his righteousness he lived that whole entire life of righteousness. And then that gets credited to me by faith and repentance. And so guys, that kind of reconciliation, he didn't just love me enough to overlook some things. He didn't love me in some passive way. He loved me and rescued me while I was his enemy. And so because of the gospel, that is why really we can love our enemies. 
even though I've confessed that love for my enemies is antithetical to my flesh, when the Spirit of God in me ponders the truth of the gospel and the truth of the Word of God, that is when He can produce in me love for my enemies. And if He can do it in me, He can do it in you. Okay? Now we get to the lost person's absolute favorite verse in the Bible. Do you know what that is? Just about everyone has this verse memorized. Now you may say, well, maybe it's John 3.16, because everybody knows that. For God so loved the world, right, that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Well, no, that's not the lost person's favorite verse. Well, what's another great verse? Romans 8.1 is, is an amazing verse we should all memorize. It says, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Well, it's not that one either. It is judge not. <laughs> they may not have the whole verse memorized, but they know that much. We need to see what it really means. Let's read in verse 37 and 38. Judge not, and you will not be judged. Condemn not, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. Be generous and charitable toward those around you, because what goes around comes around. Now, I've heard preachers read Luke six thirty-eight, talking about what you put in the offering plate. Uh, although I think the principle is somewhat true because God does say, hey, test me and see if I'm not faithful when you contribute, when you give money to me. Um, although I think the principle holds, that's really not what this verse is talking about. It's talking about being gracious and loving in our relationships. Kindness, though, does not mean we are to fail to confront sin. That is not actually kindness. The Bible tells us we are to seek to restore a brother or a sister who is in sin. Now, how can we do that if we aren't able to judge and discern whether someone's in sin? So Jesus is not saying to us, never, ever judge anything, okay? That's just absent-minded faith. Judge not does not mean we are to lose our ability to discern between right and wrong, but that we are to be kind and forgiving and charitable rather than condemning to others because we will need them to be kind and charitable and forgiving to us one day. Most of the time when people quote this verse, they're saying, don't tell me that my sin is sin. You know, uh, if, if you're talking to someone who is feeling uh, defensive, and by the way, people feel defensive when they find out you're a pastor. You don't have to say anything. They can just start feeling defensive. And they'll tell you, uh, you know, the Bible says don't judge. And I'm like, yeah, you're right. Um, and what they, what they mostly mean is don't tell me that my sin is sin because I don't want to hear that. Jesus is fleshing out, though, what he said in verse 31. And what he said in verse 31 was, and as you wish that others would do to you, do so to them. So when he says, be kind and charitable toward others, because you're going to need that to happen to you, he's fleshing out what he says here, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Our next verses point out that we need to be really careful whom we follow. Verses 39 and 40 say, he also told them a parable. Can a blind man lead a blind man? Will they not both fall into a pit? A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone when he is fully trained will be like his teacher. So guys, if you listen to the wrong Bible teachers, 
they are blind and they will lead you off a theological cliff. All right. So we have to be careful who we listen to. We have to be careful who we trust. Not every smiling fellow with a Bible is going to tell you the truth. There are plenty of wolves in sheep's clothing. Now, if you want recommendations of excellent and trustworthy Bible teachers, I would be really glad to provide them. You can listen to the world's finest Bible teachers on your phone anytime you want to. Now, that is awesome. But the bad news is you can also find people to listen to who are spiritually blind and they'll lead you astray. Luke 6, 41 and 42 point out that we should regularly examine ourselves in the mirror of God's word so that we can be helpful to other people. It says, why do you see the speck in your brother's eye, but you do not notice the log that is in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, brother, let me take out the speck that is in your eye, when you yourself do not see the log that is in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take out the speck that is in your brother's eye. Now here's the question. Does Jesus say, leave your brother's eye alone? No, it doesn't. It says, remove the log from your eye so that you can remove the speck from your brothers. He says for us not to be hypocrites who ignore our own problems. And guys, that's one of the real benefits of preaching. I can't come up here and tell you, God says, love your enemy, if I don't love my enemy. <laughs> okay? And so when I realize I'm not doing a very good job of this, then the Lord has to deal with me in order to allow me to come and preach to you. But thankfully, he has shown all of us that through the understanding and the application of the gospel, we can do what seems impossible, which is to love our enemy. So deal with your sin first and then help them deal with theirs. We need to learn to deal with sins as soon as we are aware of them. Keep a short, short list of wrongs. Guys, I think I've told you this, but you probably forgot. <laughs> One time, uh, Dr. Rogers uh, had a little conflict with um, the, the worship guy at Bellevue. And uh, this was actually while they were back in Florida. And, uh, and, and Brother Jim was doing the youth and the music. And he would come in a little bit late for a couple of weeks. And so Dr. Rogers went to him and said, hey, man, don't, it's disruptive when y'all come in late. Don't come in late anymore. And so uh, Brother Jim said, okay. Well, then they came in late the following week. And it wasn't, it wasn't Brother Jim's fault. But something had happened to make a few of them come in late. And uh, Dr. Rogers was apparently a little bit cross with him. Uh, and then he got up to preach. And he stopped and he, he went to Brother Jim and he said, hey, I, I need you to forgive me. And Jim said, yeah, no, no big deal. And he said, no, I, I really need you to forgive me because I can't get up there and preach after doing this until you forgive me. That sensitivity to the Spirit helps you keep a really short list of wrongs. And guys, that's how we need to be. We don't need to repent every couple of months when we do the Lord's Supper. We need to repent as soon as the Holy Spirit indicates to us that there's sin in our life. If we'll do that, we'll keep a short account of, of wrongs and we will be more and more sensitive to the Holy Spirit. So what do we do? Uh, how do we apply all this stuff? Well, based on the gospel, the whole implication of the gospel, we are to love our enemies even during uh, a crazy election season. 
We are to love our enemies. Let people observe the kind of love from you that can only come from the Holy Spirit in you. And then when you go to them and you share the gospel, they go, this guy may know what he's talking about because he loves those who disagree with him. He loves his enemies. Maybe he does know what he's talking about. Live for the advancement of the kingdom of God, not for earthly riches or prestige. Guys, I told you we're planting a a campus in South um, Ellisville. That takes a lot of money. You know, invest in it. Why? Because it's investing in the kingdom. Now, guys, I don't want to just, you know that I don't sit around talking about money all the time. But Jesus says, where your money is, that's where your heart will be. And so that's why it's really important for each of us to make sure that we analyze what we're doing with our our spending. We need to make sure that we are kingdom focused. And the reason that Jesus talks about money a lot is because where your money is, there your heart will be. And Jesus is concerned about where your heart is, right? So we need to make sure that we don't put God, we don't make money our God. We make money serve our God instead. The other thing is we need to keep the logs out of our eyes so that we can help our brother when he falls into sin. Guys, if I were to, um, you know, if I were to become uh, prideful enough that Jimmy could see it or something were happening and I was going off the rails a little bit, uh, I would not, I would not only want Jimmy to come talk to me, I would expect Jimmy to come talk to me. But the way that Jimmy can come and approach me and say, brother, you're veering off, you need to repent and get back in line, is if he is confessed up and he is clear of sin himself, right? We've got to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit, like I was talking about a moment ago, so that we can keep sin out of our lives, so that when we see our brother erring, we don't go to him in a judgmental way. We talked about how we are supposed to be sensitive and forgiving and kind and generous but we need to go to them and say, hey, brother, I see you're, you're veering a little bit here. Let me, let me pray for you. Let me help you get back on track. But we can't do that when we've got sin blinding us. Or, as Jesus pointed out, we'll be hypocrites. And we don't want to do that, right? So, guys, I hope, uh, I kind of hope this message was a little easier for you than it was for me. Because I hope you find it easier to love your enemies. Um, but the good news is that even though... I can't pull it off. When the Holy Spirit in me looks at the gospel, looks at what I've been forgiven of, then through that, he can say, all right, we are going to love our enemies because you were God's enemy and he managed to love you. So I hope you can internalize that and I hope that that blesses you. It certainly uh, has been a source of a lot of prayer and a lot of thought and a lot of repentance on my part this week. So guys, things are going to get nastier and nastier over the next few weeks leading up to the election. Uh, We're going to see more and more hypocrisy. And that's not a one-sided thing, by the way. We're going to see hypocrisy everywhere. And we're going to be tempted to be unkind. Uh, Guys, I see people on Facebook all the time who say they're believers. And I I mean, I'm sure they are. But reading their Facebook posts, you wouldn't think they are, right? We need to be kind. We need to be generous toward others. Um, the message that I have is not vote Republican or vote Democrat. The message that I have is the gospel. That's the message we need to concern ourselves with. 
Now, we need to vote, of course. But the kingdom and the business of the kingdom is more important than politics. Amen? All right. Brother, what are we going to sing?